For those of you who maybe read the readings before you come to Mass on Sunday or look at the citation for the different readings we have at Mass, you may have noticed this morning that the gospel we just heard, we kind of miss out on some of the narrative on what's going on at this dinner party. Because if you look at the citation for the gospel this morning, it's Luke chapter 14, verse 1, and then it skips to 7 uh, to 14. So there's something that happens besides, you know, it's saying that, you know, on the Sabbath Jesus went to dine, and then all of a sudden he's giving them this parable. And I think it's a shame that those six verses aren't there, and that's why I'm going to read them to you right now. Because I want you to hear this, because I think it brings the whole thing into a fuller picture of what our Lord is getting at when he tells this parable that we all know so well. This is the way that it begins. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler who belonged to the Pharisees, they were watching him, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy, and Jesus spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. Then he took him and healed him and let him go. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he marked how they chose the places of honor. So, then we get into the parable. But I think it's interesting that before we even get to them going for places of honor, you have this scene of, okay, all these people at this dinner party. Here's a man with dropsy. And I don't know if you know much about dropsy. I didn't until yesterday when I looked it up. Um, A modern name for it is edema, which basically what it is, is it's like you have this retention of fluids. You can't get rid of fluids. And at the same time, you're thirsty. So it's like you're wanting to drink, but drinking is not good for you. You just keep taking on more and more fluids. So here's this poor guy. I mean, I'm sure incredibly in, you know, a lot of discomfort. You know, here he is in front of them and Jesus posing this question. Is it okay on the Sabbath to heal him or not? And to look at the way that they respond, nothing. They don't say a thing. You know, it's like that awkward moment when all of a sudden you're kind of presented with a moral quandary, you know, some sort of a question, and you're in a mixed group, and it's like, okay, I don't want to say anything to offend this one or that one. Like, they don't have the confidence or, you know, the comfort and the truth or even the humility just to speak. Even if they were like, no, it's not okay on the Sabbath. Wait until tomorrow. Come on back, I would dropsy. You know, I mean, that's not what they say. They say nothing. And then Jesus, what does he do? He heals the man and then makes this, ve- this reference to Deuteronomy that basically says, if, you're, uh, if you see your neighbor uh, and his, his beast, his ox has fallen down, you should help him, even if it's on the Sabbath. I mean, he's referencing scripture here. And what do they say? Nothing. They're just, it's like they're so afraid to, you know, even admit the fact that, hey, you just healed this guy. That's a pretty amazing thing, right? But what are they concerned about? Where are we going to sit? What's our honor? How does everybody else view me? And I think the reason that 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 little part of the healing is so important is I think the dropsy that that man has is very much related to the problem of pride, 
of wanting that honor of everybody else. Because when you think about it, I mean, we all fall into this trap, right? We're all fallen human beings. We all care about what everybody else thinks of us. Now, don't get me wrong. That's important. I'm glad everybody brushed their teeth this morning, right? And probably took showers or it would smell terrible in here. Hence, why we use incense, right? But, you know, there's, you know, there's reasons of, of caring, right, about what other people think, but that is not the end-all, be-all. We don't want to live our lives just in like this trap of what's going to be the reaction, right? What, how is everybody going to react to this? Ultimately, we need to be free to live in the truth. Now, honor is not in and of itself a bad thing. Look at what Jesus even says in the parable. The person who does humble themselves is exalted, but they're not going into the situation looking for that exaltation. I'm going to get in there and tell everybody how great I am. No, it's that act of humility, and sometimes that leads to exaltation, right? I think of this as sort of an analogy. And I'm really blessed we have many weddings and on the sad side of things, but I'm glad we can offer the service, many funerals here. And very often, you know, we have a lot of servers for it. It's great. And sometimes families in their generosity give money to go to the servers for being here and doing that. And I always tell the guys, it's like, guys, I said, be thankful when it comes, but don't expect it. It's like you can't go into serving mass, like, just so you can get that 20 bucks, right? It's nice when it comes. It's wonderful. It's a great gift. But that's not why you do it. And the same can be said for honor. Our Lord doesn't want us to be thirsty for something that ultimately is just going to weigh us down if we're doing it for the wrong reasons. Ultimately, we need to have a thirst like he does. Think about, you know, the Gospel of John, Jesus on the cross saying, I thirst. That's been translated and meant to mean over the years that he thirsts for our salvation. He thirsts for honor for the Father. He thirsts for that great love and freedom for all of us. That's what he's thirsting for. And ultimately, it's satisfied. Ultimately, even from the cross, he knows he's going to die and rise from the dead. When thirsting for the right thing, that does eventually bring satisfaction. The trouble is, if we're always just thirsting for human respect, human honor, what does everybody else think, we're never going to be satisfied. In fact, it's going to be like having dropsy, being weighed down and left in a worse state than before because we're thirsting after something that will never satisfy us. Ultimately, we need to thirst for the right things like our Lord, to beg him for that grace to say, you know what, no matter what, I need to strive for the right thing. Because you can see it in these people. To have that question posed, to see this man healed, and they're silent. We need to ask for that grace to be sort of immune to that thirst for honor so that in the world, when we're presented with difficult situations, when we need to speak up for justice, for life, for the family, for our faith, that we're not like those folks that just go silent. It's important that good people speak up when the truth is challenged. And so to not have that thirst for honor that will just weigh us down, but rather to strive to do the right thing, to love truth himself, and to be able to speak it. We all know that sometimes when you do the right thing, when you live in that way, when you imitate Christ, sometimes it brings honor. Thanks be to God. But sometimes it brings martyrdom. I mean, ultimately what's most important is that we follow his example. 
The thing is, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all affected by this, right? I mean, we all care about what everybody else thinks, but it's important to keep asking our Lord for the help to take on humility, that great virtue that is so difficult and yet so freeing. I'll tell you about a week ago when I read the readings for this weekend for the first time, my initial temptation was to just get out the book Mere Christianity and read you an entire chapter because I love it, I quote it all the time, and C.S. Lewis's chapter called The Great Sin, chapter 8 and book 3 of Mere Christianity is one of the finest uh, just dis- descriptions of humility you're ever going to see. So I do have to at least quote it once because I would feel like I'm completely letting you down if I don't. And I would say for work at home, get the book. This chapter is worth the price of admission. It's so good, but it helps so much. This is how C.S. Lewis concludes his chapter on humility. He says, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Isn't that always great? I love those kind of kicks in the pants that help you along the way, right? It's like the the, uh, G.K. Chesterton quote, what's wrong with the world? I am. You know, it's one of those things where we need to always ask our Lord for that help, to see things as they really are, to ask to not have the thirst for human respect, but rather his thirst, the thirst that he has for our salvation, the thirst that he has for the glory of God, the thirst that he has for all of us to be free. Let's pray for that grace to have his thirst, to be like him, because when we are, we all know what happened to him. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.